0: Hello, and a very warm welcome to Tales of a Starry Night, a stories and science podcast on the wonders of the night sky. In this episode, we are discussing the Pleiades, a star cluster also known as the Seven Sisters, even though to the naked eye, only six stars are very obvious. In the last episode, we read the Mahabharata story that described the Pleiades as the six rejected wives of the seven Rishi the seven wise men, the stars of the Big Dipper. But the name Western astronomy knows them by, the Pleiades, comes from ancient Greece. Alcyone, Kelaino, Electra, Taigeta, Maya, Asterope and Merope are the seven daughters of Pleione, herself daughter of the ocean, and of the giant Atlas, condemned to carry the world on his shoulders. Here is the story of how they ended up in the sky. On a beautiful spring day, the sisters were walking in the countryside near Athens. It was warm already and they stopped to rest by a stream. Most of them sat by the bank in the shade of a large weeping willow, their feet relishing the coolness of the flowing water. The youngest ones were picking wild flowers in a colourful meadow nearby. The youngest ones, they saw the man first, a movement at the edge of the trees, an unusually tall shape. He looked boyish, his face half hidden by unruly black curls. He looked strong, his muscular calves stretched the lace of his sandals. There was curiosity in his big blue eyes, but the size of his stride as he approached the girls frightened them. They raised the alarm, and all seven sisters began to run away, through the meadow, across the stream, into the pathless forest, leaping and gliding, flowing between the trees like a hunted herd of hinds. But their swift agility was no match for the giant's speed. In desperation, they called to Zeus for help. And suddenly, but quite imperceptibly, as they were running, their bodies grew feathers, their arms extended into wings, their feet stopped touching the ground, and seven beautiful white doves flew together and out of the forest and towards the sky, where they can still be seen to this day. Orion, for this was the giant's name, Orion didn't follow them there. He looked. He looked disappointingly as the birds disappeared into the deep blue sky. He was ashamed of his rashness and annoyed by his lack of success. After all, Orion, the famous hunter and son of the god of the sea Poseidon, was reputed the most handsome man alive. Orion also ended up in the sky after other adventures and the constellation that bears his name is one of the easiest to recognize mainly through the three bright stars of his belt. He is one of the main constellations of the winter sky and the scene of the Pleiades flight is enacted most nights The Pleiades rise ahead of the stars of Orion in their course around the pole and he seems to be following them as the night progresses. The Pleiades star cluster is located in the constellation of Taurus the bull and the brightest star of that constellation is the orange giant Aldebaran, the eye of the bull. It lies 65 light years away and its name in Arabic means the follower for he too, like Orion, follows the Pleiades across the night sky. The stars of the Pleiades lie close together in astronomical terms, because they are young stars who were born from the same dust cloud. According to the Collins pocket Guide on stars and planets, they have formed within the last 50 million years, which means dinosaurs never got the chance to admire them. They form what is called an open cluster, and will slowly drift apart with time. At the moment, they are centered 375 light-years away, which means we see them as they were about 375 years ago. The cluster contains about a 100 stars, but for the most part only 6 or 7, or 6 and a missing one, are mentioned in tales from people relying on naked eye observations as, for example, in the story of the wives of the seven Rishi narrated in the previous episode of the podcast. The Pleiades feature prominently in the star-lore of many people around the world and through the ages. Perhaps even, it has been argued, down to the Paleolithic inhabitants of Europe. We discovered in 1940 the Lascaux cave in southwest France holds some of the most famous examples of Palaeolithic parietal art and close to its modern entrance is what is known as the Hall of the Bulls. A frieze of painted animals stretches around the walls and onto the ceiling. Horses, rocks, the bovines of the time, stags. Four huge bulls, outlined in black, dominate the far end of the hall to the south. The largest, at 5.6 metres in length, the largest picture in the cave, is painted in the south, almost entirely on the ceiling. Above its shoulder are six black dots, carefully laid out, it seems, in lines of two and four. They resemble a small dipper. They resemble, in fact, the Pleiades star clusters one cannot escape the parallel, that in the night sky, the Pleiades sit on the shoulder of Taurus, the bull, a constellation recognised to be one of the most ancient. At the time Lascaux was painted, close to 20,000 years ago, the night sky would have looked different, because of no light pollution or artificial satellites, of course, but also because shifts in the position of constellations due to the precession movement of the Earth's rotation axis and of the proper motions of individual stars. The patterns in the sky shift and change on large time scales. A German astronomer, Michael Rappengluck, calculated what the sky would have looked like to the Lascaux artists and found that it fitted the painting of the largest bull and accompanying dots better than our current skies. Perhaps there was then a larger constellation known as the Oroch, with a particular significance for Paleolithic people. This theory is appealing but might never be proven. We can never truly know whether the Pleiades are depicted on the walls of Lascaux, whether that particular star cluster is depicted on the walls of Lascaux. However, it is most likely that the hunter-gatherers of the time would have noticed how the patterns of the night sky and the seasons cycle together. And the Pleiades cluster, striking as it is, could well have been used as a seasonal marker in Paleolithic Europe. The rising and setting time of the Pleiades at a given location depends on the time of the year. In addition, since the Pleiades are close to the ecliptic, the yearly path of the sun They disappear from the night sky for about 40 days per year when they are hidden in the glare of the sun. Their disappearance is followed by their heliacal rising when they are first spotted rising in the east ahead of the sun at dawn. About half a year later comes the time when they are opposite the sun and set as it rises. At that time, they are visible through the night as is the case now. When the Pleiades are just rising at sunset and setting around sunrise. In Works and Days, the Greek poet Hesiod highlights the seasonal significance of the Pleiades for the Greeks of the 8th century BC. In Hugh Heveline's White translation, he writes When the Pleiades, daughters of Atlas, are rising, begin your harvest and you ploughing when they are going to set. Forty nights and days they are hidden, and appear again as the year moves around, when first you sharpen your sickle. This is the law of the plains, and of those who live near the sea, and who inhabit rich country, the glens and hollows far from the tossing sea. At the time, in the Mediterranean area, the Pleiades rose heliacally in May. At harvest time, and set as the sun rose at the end of October, beginning of November, the time to plough and sow, taking advantage of the coming winter rains. That time also heralded the end of the sailing season and the beginning of the winter storms. The Pleiades have been and still are being used as seasonal markers by different cultures. For the Maori of Aotearoa, New Zealand, they are Matariki, and their heliacal rising currently in early July marks the beginning of the Maori New Year. Matariki is an abbreviation of Nga Mata Ote Ariki Tawirimatea, the eyes of the god Tawirimatea. And here is the story of how they ended up in the sky. In the beginning, There was only darkness. There was nothing but night. And in this darkness, two beings lay together. Rangwini, the father. The sky father. And Papa Tuanuku, the mother, the earth mother. And they had children. And for a time, all was good. But the children started growing. They became restless and fidgety. They felt trapped and wanted space to move. They started arguing. Some felt trapped and wanted out. The parents woke up. Someone, someone was pushing them apart. Tanemahuta, their son, god of the forest, he was pushing them apart. He was lying on his back pushing with his legs until finally he had separated his parents. At last there was space. At last the children were free. And Ranginui, the father, was so sad. So sad that he cried and cried and rain fell onto the earth. And in response, the earth, Papatuanuku, sent dew to rise towards the sky. And someone else was sad too. Tawirimatea, the god of the wind, he felt sad for his parents. And sometimes, sometimes in his sadness, he gets so angry and blows so hard to try and uproot the trees, the trees of his brother, Tanemahuta. And he started crying too. And his tears were like drops of light. So he threw them into the sky. Where they became stars, stars that are called Mata Ariki, the eyes of the god. On the other side of the world, for the Blackfoot of the North American plains, the Pleiades are related to the life cycle of the bison. They are the six lost boys. A long time ago. A long time ago, a boy watched his father prepare for the buffalo hunt. The man was checking the trueness of his arrows, checking the tension of his bow, as he stepped out of the tipi into the freshness of a bright spring dawn. His wife gave him a bundle of dried meat to sustain him; she'd also refilled his water skin. The boy is eager. He knows how to hunt. He's hunted small games. He knows how to hide in the cover of bushes. He knows how to wait patiently for game to approach. He knows how to watch from behind the leaves, to silently prepare his bow and shoot at the right moment. But he isn't yet allowed to join the buffalo hunt. He's too small. But that morning he rushes to his father father he says when you kill the buffalo can you bring me the unborn calf i can and i will replies the man and he leaves and all day long the boy waits then finally in the evening when his father returns tired and dusty and elated after a successful hunt the boy runs to greet him and asks, Father, Father, where is the unborn calf? Oh, I forgot, says the man simply. And he enters the teepee, leaving the disappointed boy to stand alone outside, under the darkening sky. The boy is hurt and sad. He is so disappointed. My father doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. The boy looks in confusion at his family's teepee. Then he makes his decision. He cannot stay where he is not loved. He turns around and walks away, away into the woods towards the prairie. He walks along the river and its powerful noise drowns the screams in his head. Then the boy reaches open grassland. It stretches like a golden sea as the sun goes down. and a short distance away, he notices small figures standing out against the sky. Five boys. He approaches them. They look about the same age as he. What are you doing here by yourselves, he asks. One of the boys says, We asked our father to bring us back the buffalo calves. But they forgot, and so we left. We didn't want to stay where we are not loved, not wanted. Join us if you like. And so the boys go out further into the prairie. So strong are their feelings that they no longer want to see their fathers, but they know the adults will look for them and eventually find them. What should we become? Where should we go so that they can't find us? How about six giant trees, suggests one. No... Someone will come and chop us down, says another one, after a short silence. What about six lakes? No, we might eventually dry up. Six swans? Then we could fly! That would be so much fun! Yes, one boy says, but our tribe hunts swans we will be shut down sooner or later. It was night by then, the sky was clear. And one boy looked up and gasped at the multitude of the stars. He suggested, maybe we can get up there in the heavens, then we can look down on our people. The idea was received with enthusiasm, and off they went, up in the sky, where they can still be seen. Except in the springtime, when buffalo start, Calving, they disappear, for they never got to see the unborn calves. And remember, when you look up to the small cluster of the Pleiades, remember that they are the six lost boys. And when you see them in the sky, let them remind you, do not neglect the children. Returning to Lasco, Michael Rappenglück points out that at the time when the Great Bull was painted, the Pleiades would have disappeared at the end of August and risen heliacally in mid-October. They would have been prominent in the spring sky. The time of their disappearance then corresponded with the mating season of the aurochs, so that the cave painting, painting could well be an illustration of this seasonal link. Norbert Ojoula, a French prehistorian and geologist had the privilege of studying the art of Lascaux for a decade. He noticed that when animal figures overlapped, the horses were painted first, then the aurochs, then the stags. In addition, the animals were depicted with features heralding the start of their mating season. The horses have their long winter hair and seem to display activities related to the late winter beginning of spring. The aurochs, Bulls and cows display their summer coats, while the stags boast the full spread of their autumn antlers. The painting, then, could be read as a celebration of life and its cycles, cycles visible on earth but also echoed in the sky. In the hall of the bulls, the animals on overhanging walls look as if painted on a celestial vault. So perhaps in the art of Lascaux, Biological and cosmological times were entwined in ways we can only guess at. We've reached the end of this episode. If you liked it, please share it. If you have any comments, please do not hesitate to contact me. Thank you for listening, and until next time, goodbye.